And I'm just happy to be back at the lake here at WGBB after a couple of weeks away. And this is the perfect time for those of you who are listening to uh, call in and talk to me and get on the air and be on the radio and be part of this experience in this potentially new America. Well, we'll see. How, how different will it be? How much will change? But I have to say I was pretty happy and proud like so many other folks on Tuesday. Not because I'm so incredibly excited about Barack Obama or that I think his policies are so much better than McCain's would have been, but just because it was time. Just because I would have voted for the skeleton of a manatee over anyone the Republicans were running after eight years of that administration. And I'm so glad that America finally came around and realized that. That, you know, they didn't get it in 2004. George W. Bush won the popular vote and he won the electoral vote in uh, 2004. Unlike in 2000, when he was appointed for all of us. Then he won out and outright because people thought, well, we should be in Iraq. Ha. And that uh, things in Iraq would get better, which actually they did. But it took about a year into George Bush's second term, when the whole thing turned, and people realized that the Iraq War, whether we were winning it or losing it, was a mistake to be there to begin with, and that we were letting the Afghani War slip. And then, of course, two years later with gas prices, and then the banks and Wall Street, and, and who can forget Hurricane Katrina? I mean, America just realized, okay, George Bush... He's finished. We shouldn't have re-elected him. We should have just flushed him down the toilet, but what can you do? Well, then you had McCain being in the really untenable position of being in the Republican Party, the party that had been in power for eight years and ruining things for eight years. And so he's part of that party, though. He's not an independent. He's not in working families. He's not in some other labor party. He's in with the Republicans. They're his people. So all those folks who, are, who have been there for eight years are still the muscle behind pushing him up. And yet they're telling him, whatever you do, distance yourself from the guy we've had in power for the past eight years. Oh yeah, we, you know, yes, we elected George Bush the first time, we elected him the second time, he's our guy. When McCain starts to run and the country is falling to pieces, now they've got to tell him, well, yes, you're, you're running, but you're not George Bush. Tell everybody, make sure that they know that you're not George Bush. And, I, and it's true, I believe that about McCain, that he is his own man, and that he wouldn't necessarily be completely like George Bush, or that his policies wouldn't be the same, or that he wouldn't be his own person in making the decisions. He wouldn't be a puppet to the strings of someone like a Dick Cheney the way George Bush was. The problem is that if McCain had gotten into the White House, if he'd gotten into power, the people behind him would still be the same people who were running things for eight years. It isn't just about the guy on top, or... The president, the vice president, the secretary of the treasury, the um, secretary of defense, and a couple of other people who change, who are different. The, um, oh, the press secretary, people like that. It's the hundreds 
of other folks in their jobs who were responsible for where we are now. They won't go away so quick because they're the folks who are trying to get McCain in power. So, no, maybe McCain wouldn't have been George Bush, but he still would have been of the party of George Bush. And if I'm proud of anything that happened on election night on Tuesday, I'm proud of the fact that America realized that you don't have to be George Bush to be part of the party that screwed things up. And, you know, it, it made me... I only wish that Barack had won by an even greater margin. I've taken more electoral states. So, I'm thrilled still that Barack Obama triumphed. Literally, he triumphed on Tuesday. It was a picture-perfect moment. It had all the elements of drama. It, you, you knew while you were watching it. And I have no love for Jesse Jackson. God knows. I, I, I did not vote for him. Would not have voted for him 20-some-odd years ago when he was running because of his comments and things like that. It was a different time. Well, to see him really not being the politician at that point, but honest to God, they, they showed that close-up of his face when he was crying. That was damn touching. Because, you know, apart from all the politics and the dumb things that he said, and there's some good things that he did, and, and the fact that he's a reverend, but what does he really do for a living, and you know how close is he was Sharpton, and people like that. At that moment... He was a black American citizen who had lived long enough to see the civil rights movement, the 60s, to see the, the whites-only signs and the dogs and the fire hoses, and also to see uh, everyone from Muhammad Ali to Miriam Makiba to the rise of, of black actors like Denzel Washington out of Sidney Poitier and, and when back... When he was still a kid, you didn't even have that in the movies. You had Mantan Moreland, and you had Butterfly McQueen. I mean, just the sea change that he was able to live through. And then, there he is, to, to, to know that someone went ahead and did it. I know I'm not saying something that everybody hasn't been saying for the past week. Uh, I mean, yes, okay, congratulations, America has finally, on some level, overcome something very, very important. We all know this. But it was that, that was one of the moments that crystallized it, to see Jackson crying like that, to see just the throngs of people all over the country fairly spontaneously. It, it was the exact opposite, in a way, of Rodney King. Remember the, the whole Rodney King thing where, where that guy who, who really deserved to be arrested but not beaten the crap out of? So they get him, and there's this spontaneous sense of frustration and anger in the black and minority communities. They just, Rodney King, they pull him out of the truck, you know, or that was, actually that was the black people doing that to the white truck driver, but, but the, the cops wailing on Rodney King, and it just became this flashpoint moment, especially in California, places like that. And, and the rage came out, like in Watts. The rage came out, like in Agatha. Just years and years of oppression and hatred, and the sense that, even if it wasn't direct the way it used to be in the first part of the 20th century, even if it was more indirect, that they weren't being paid as much, that they weren't necessarily even being considered for jobs that they would be qualified for. Okay, just the, the looks that they would get, and they're in a store trying to buy something, not trying to steal anything, just trying to be a consumer. All of that. 
the, 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 just walking down the street and knowing that all the white faces who see you will see black first and then male, female, professional, mother, soldier, whatever, second. Um, for all that to explode the way it did, I guess it was 20-odd years ago during the L.A. riots. This was the opposite of that. This was America doing something right. It was Americans getting together and saying, oh, we know the last eight years, or at least certainly four of the last eight years, but I think the whole last eight years was a mistake, a disaster, and what were we thinking, what were we drinking? Let's, the Democratic Party has a black man, they want a young, attractive, incredibly well-spoken and smart and finessed black man. Let's put this, let's get him in charge. Let's put him in a place of power and see what he can do because this is America. And the fact that white people were celebrating, liberals, of course, were celebrating. And then instead of the way it was in the L.A. riots, the black people coming out and saying, let's get out there and enjoy this historical, beautiful moment. Let's celebrate this, even, even if he turns out to be a lousy president, <laughs> which could very well be. I mean, I'm sure there was quite a bit of celebration in New York when um, Mayor Dinkins came in after Ed Koch. I mean, Koch was a very, very likable mayor, very personable and very powerful personality, but he certainly had his faults as a mayor. The city was going to hell. And so, yeah, Dinkins coming in, and people thought, oh, okay, he, he was also very smooth, suave, kind of good-looking guy, well-spoken, played tennis, and looked really great going to all those kinds of mayoral opening things and galleries and cocktail stuff. Whether he was a good mayor, eh, not so much. And all took Giuliani to come in there and really change New York. So by the middle of Dinkins' term, everybody knew, oh, no, oh, man. But, hey, we had a, a black mayor. It was cool. Well, it's New York. Why not? Why did that take so long in a place like New York? So, it may happen for Obama, too. And, in fact, when Obama's campaign was first getting off the ground, before he became the steamroll machine that he was for the past two months, that brought him into the White House, almost coasted him in, in when he was first, well, will it be him or Edwards or Hillary or whoever? And I was thinking, you know, He's got potential, he's, he's, he's really, really well-spoken, and he feels, he looks like a leader, he sounds like a leader. We felt that way also to an extent when Jimmy Carter came into the presidency in 1976, because we had just been through all those years of Nixon, and people hated Nixon even before Watergate. I mean, Nixon was not telegenic, he was not personable, he was... Obviously a very kind of insular and very um, almost paranoid kind of a leader. He had very weird and dumb, eccentric people working for and with him. He kept the war going for much longer than he had to. We could have gotten this out of Vietnam much, much quicker. And all that kind of stuff. But he did some good things. This is not about Nixon, not about him going to China and, and the economy and things like that. This is just about saying that after all those Nixon years, and then on top of that, the scandal, the shame 
of, of something as sleazy and dumb as Watergate, you know, in, in swept Jimmy Carter because he was young, he had that great grin, smart guy, certainly. I mean, don't be fooled by the, the big hair and the teeth and all that. He was a very, very smart man and a humanist. Someone who really seemed to care about people because he came from the people. He was a peanut farmer. And so we're happy to vote for him. Happy to get Nixon and Ford out of... Sweep the Republicans out. That's what we did in 1976. We swept the Republicans out of the White House to get the stink of Watergate away. And elected Jimmy Carter. Well, he's one of the worst presidents in the last 50 years. Oh, well. That's how things turn out sometimes. So I'm not necessarily saying that Obama will be this wonderful, marvelous, brilliant president or, or an effective leader. Just because you can give a really effective speech does not make you the person who can get the job done. In some ways, and I, I'll even say this now, I'm, I'm almost a little disappointed that McCain didn't run on the Democratic ticket because I would have voted for McCain then. Because I wanted Democrats in the White House to sweep the Republicans out. And I kind of like McCain. His style is nowhere near as smooth as Obama's, of course. But he also seemed like the guy who would roll up his sleeves. Well, if he could lift his arms. But you know, he'd, get, he'd go in there and, well, let's try this and let's do that. And let, well, don't tell me you can't do that. Just do it this way. And, and you get the feeling that he really tried to tackle things. Almost like a, a garage mechanic. Kind of, kind of, or a plumber. All these tubes of America have to be rejiggered and, and twisted a certain way, and he can, by golly, by gosh, he survived a, a war, prisoner of war camp. He can do that. Whereas with Obama, you do wonder, okay, he can give a tremendous speech and probably sit people down from all nations and really have a, a lovely conversation. But when people, things start getting heated, and you have to start compromising and figuring out how to make deals really happen and how to, to really get a tax plan going or really solve health care, we shall see. But I'm proud to have voted for him. I'm proud that he won, you know. Um, and I hope, I hope that you are too. Hi, I'm Dave, and I host a program called Dave Has Gone By. And that program airs Sunday nights at 11 on WGBB Freeport. And that station is AM 1240 on your dial. And that dial is on your radio. And your radio is the only thing that stands between you and those little green men you see when you eat too much spicy food. You've been warned. There goes the neighborhood. You got David Lefkowitz here. He's a Long Island arts guy. He's got his own radio show. Greetings from Long Island, where every highway is a sunrise. It's time for Dave's Gone By, an hour of comedy, talk, and music brought to you by Total Theater, with your host, Dave Lefkowitz. You've never heard anything like it, so sit back, relax, squeal if you must. Here's the host of Dave's Gone By, Dave! Tropical hot dog night! Meow! I'm not an ordinary cat. I'm a copycat. 
I love to make copies. So my favorite place is Hewlett Minuteman Press. For three decades, they've been on Broadway in Hewlett, printing booklets, making business cards, designing wedding invitations, and making millions of copies. Meow! How good is Minuteman? Hey, I used to have one life. Now I've got nine. Hewlett Minuteman on Broadway opposite Lowman's. Tell him Toner the Copycat sent you for 10% off. You know, you go away for a couple of weeks, and you just lose all sense of how the mechanics work here. And, and you know, I was going to do this whole big intro opening and say hi to everybody, and instead hit the wrong thing and play the commercial, and then hit another wrong thing and couldn't get on mic. But let me, let me start again to say, well, there goes the neighborhood. Welcome, everybody, to this edition, this long-awaited edition of the new season of Dave's Gone By on WGBB. It is Sunday night, the <coughs> excuse me, the 9th of November. See, I even wrote it down on my piece of paper. I, I had 11-2 written down. It was actually 11-9. But what I do know is that this is the 296th episode of Dave's Gone By. And we're calling it The Edder Side. Not The Other Side, but The Edder Side. Because hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to be having a live interview with a big Broadway actress and singing pop star, Linda Edder. She's, um, you probably best know her from appearing in the Broadway musical Jekyll and Hyde a few years back, and she really became pretty famous from it, and that led to a concert career all around America, all around the world, pretty much, and also a recording career. She's got a new CD out called The Other Side of Me, so we're going to see the Edgar side of things tonight on Dave's Gone By. Um, and also, if there's time, we'll be going inside Broadway, so it's a, a theatrical kind of Dave's Gone By. We do these every now and again, because we do inside Broadway every episode that we can, where we look at what's going on on Broadway and a review a couple of shows, so we want to do that too, and let's see, what am I reviewing tonight? Oh yes, the big Broadway revival, the starry revival of Speed the Plow, the David Mamet play that uh, just opened about two weeks ago. It's got Raul Esparza in it, Jeremy Piven, you may know him from Entourage, and Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men. So we're going to let you know what we thought of Speed the plow. But we're going to speed ahead, plow ahead, into this edition of Dave's Gone By. But before we can, before we go edgering, gotta do what we do every week. And thanks so much, the sponsors of this radio show, which include Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway. You just heard their commercial, albeit a little early. You know, if you're a Dave's Gone By listener and you tell them so, at Ulit Minute Man Press, you get 10% off. No job too big or small at Ulit Minute Man Press, 1315 Broadway in Ulit. Also, we are sponsored by Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway for 65 years. Everything you need to know about the stages of New York, Broadway, Off-Broadway, Cabaret, Opera, Dance, uh, the special events and awards. It's all in the pages of Performing Arts Insider Magazine. And Dave's Gone By listeners get an amazing special discount subscription price. All you got to do is go to PerformingArtsInsider.com to find out more about this wonderful journal. Or go to Dave'sGoneBy.org to find out more about how you can get your discount. So... Those are two of our sponsors, but are those enough sponsors? Oh, no. 
We always welcome more. In fact, our most recent, our newest sponsor, our most delicious sponsor, is the Woodrow Delicatessen, located at 1342 Peninsula Boulevard. It's in the Peninsula Shopping Center. 1342 Peninsula Boulevard. It's been there since the 1970s. I know the owners and my family, my parents have been going there since we moved to Long Island 30-some-odd years ago. Go there almost every week for the best, the freshest, most delicious kosher delicatessen you can imagine. I mean, everything from roast chicken to Polynesian chicken, pastrami, turkey, fresh off the bone, great hot dogs, Hawaiian chicken salad. It's not something you would normally think about, but they do it with mayo and and, uh, walnuts and little chunks of pineapple. It's fantastic. You've got to go to the Woodrow Delicatessen on Peninsula Boulevard. Go to WoodrowDeli.com. Now, it's only one W in there. It's the W that starts. WoodrowDeli.com. They leave off the last W for something or other. We're still trying to figure out what, what where that other W went. And this program is brought to you by Fancy Schmancy Balloons for all your party decorating needs. I would have my usual guest co-host, Jeff Goodman, telling you about that because he runs and owns and operates Fancy Schmancy Balloons, but uh, he's late. <laughs> the more things change, the more things uh, remain the same. Here we are on hiatus for a couple of weeks. You know, there's all sorts of questions and turmoil and blah, blah, blah. You know, meanwhile, here we are. We come back. It's 11 o'clock. Things are exactly the same as they were, thank God. And where's Jeff? He's late, as usual. Oh, well, I hope he's on his way, because it'd be great to have him here tonight. But give Jeff a call during the week at 516-797-3229. 516-797-3229 for Fancy Schmancy Balloons. Your party needs a Fancy Schmancy something. I've got to work on that. Uh, got to work on that too. Got to get these logos going and these new phrases as we go into our new season. Well, anyway, we're uh, we're going to take a little bit of commercial break and then we're going to play a little bit of the music of Linda Edder. And then, if the stars are aligning correctly, and I do believe they will be, we'll have Linda Edder on with us on Dave's Gone By tonight. So don't go away. Stay with us. Great to be back. Great to have you all back, whether you're listening on your radios at AM 1240 or at org to the live audio stream. It's, it's just so nice to be sitting here and so nice to be hearing commercials and music and all these wonderful things in this post-election time. Don't go away. Shalom, damn it! This is Rabbi Saul Solomon asking you, what are the two most beautiful words in the English language? That's right, kosher deli! Actually, kosher isn't English per se, and delicatessens from the German, but screw that! Kosher deli, pastrami, corned beef, roast beef, tongue, brisket! If you have a good kosher deli, you're set! Well... I have a great kosher deli, the Woodrow, in the Peninsula Shopping Center of Hewlett, Long Island. Open seven days, even Shabbos. Everything freshly made in the store, available for catering and private parties, the Woodrow. 516-791-4033. 791-4033. The Woodrow. Words cannot express. Down this road before All of us signs They look the same But something has changed With time And I can't put my finger on it 
Very catchy number, new song there from Linda Etter and her new album, The Other Side of Me. Linda Etter, as uh, most of you might remember her from the Broadway show Jekyll and Hyde, but she's also done a bunch of other stuff, including lots and lots of concerts and, uh, and quite a few CDs, and she's taking the time out tonight on this Sunday evening to be part of the neighborhood. So, first of all, let us welcome Linda Etter. Linda, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? I actually was in Denver. I had a concert in Denver. Okay. Yeah. So traveling, flying. Well, you're also you're raising kids, right? So is that do you bring them with you, or how does that all work out? Well, I have one son. He's nine years old, and uh, he's in school, so it's uh, you know I don't travel too much with him unless it's something that's close by or happens to be. Something that might be a fun trip for him that happens to be on a weekend, but you know, most of the time I he stays home with family here. Has have you felt um, then that either you might have given up something by trying to be a mom and trying to be more home for him, or vice versa? Do you, do you feel that um, you know that, that going away, uh, you might have done more Broadway or might have done more movies or whatever it is if you didn't have the familial thing tugging? How do you, how do you feel about that balance? Well, it is definitely balanced. I think I, you know, I love Broadway, but that's really the reason I haven't gone back since Chuck on Hyde is because I had him right after I left the show, and I just knew from knowing what that schedule was like that I, it wasn't going to be right for me to try to do both because I just wouldn't be there for him, especially when he hit the school years, you know, where you get I'd be driving to work shortly after he would be getting home from school and, and getting home late, and, and it just wouldn't wouldn't work for me, so... Um, I've sort of carved a nice niche, so I've, I've figured out a way to balance it. I do most of those shows on the weekends and only so many per month. And, um, you know, once in a while it gets a little hectic and I do feel a little working mother's guilt. But he uh, he seems pretty well adjusted. He's used to me traveling and working. And it's just so far I think it's worked out okay. Well, well cool. Well, great. And, and so you must do about what, uh, maybe 70, 80 concerts a year? If you figure it oh, or no, no, I think I average around fifty. You know, when you add in the days of flying, I mean that's fifty shows. I mean, I do some other things. You know, where they're not concerts per se listed on the on the schedule. You know, they're work related things or they're special appearance things. But a lot of those tend to be you know Manhattan. Cool. Um, works out. And speaking of location, 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 do you consider yourself an Arizonan or a Minnesotan? Well, I'm, I guess I consider myself. Oh, oh, are you on a cell, are you on a cell phone by any chance, or? Yeah, I am actually. Oh boy, um, <laughs> trying trying to speak into it and don't move around very much except your lips. 
Um, okay. We may be all right. We're, you're kind of breaking up there for a moment. But you were born, as you said, in, in Tucson or, or Brainerd? Wait. I was born in Tucson, but we, I grew up in Minnesota. So most of my life was, you know, growing up was spent in Minnesota. I was, I was a, uh, not even a year old when we moved to Minnesota. So I'm a Minnesota girl. So growing up there, were you, did you feel culturally attuned to things? Were you involved or were you taken a lot to the theater there? Or did you have not to get all. out of there? No. Oh, wow. No, not at all. <laughs> okay. And, uh, I didn't see my first, you know, theatrical production until I was uh, a teenager, really. What was it? Do you remember? Yeah, it was Evita. It was a touring production of Evita. Do you remember who the actress was? No. In fact, it was the understudy of the understudy who went on that day. I think it wasn't even uh, the, the lead, but it was, you know, it was a great piece, so I don't, I don't really remember being disappointed by it. Oh, the actress who played Wheezy on, uh, on the Jeffersons, I think. No, right. No, <laughs> no it's funny, because when I finally got to see Evita, it was one of the first Broadway shows I saw as a grown-up, and I went on a Wednesday matinee, and I heard so many amazing things about it, about the actress, and turned out that and Lupone wasn't in on the Wednesday matinees, and Che Guevara's Mandy Patinkin wasn't in on a Wednesday matinee. And it was a good show, but I always wondered... Uh, now having seen Patty Lupone, especially in Gypsy, and having seen her in uh, Sweeney Todd, it's like, ah, I, there was something that I was missing that afternoon. Now I kind of get the sense of what it might have been. Oh, well. Did you? Well, yeah. yeah, there's no question that, you know, they lead their cast for a reason. You know, they, they generally will bring something to the role. But, you know, it goes both ways, I think, sometimes. The understudies can be better. You never know. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm not knocking understudies, but sometimes you also understand the the level of star power. Um, yeah. Did, and did that Evita make a huge impression on you? Did you go home for the next week and a half with your arms in the air, saying "Don't cry for me, Argentina"? Or was it just your mom took you to that, and then the next day you were playing sports, and the next day something else, and it was just part of stuff. Well, I think it was like anything with me that had to do with singing on stage. You know, from the moment I heard, you know, Judy Garland as a kid when I was eight and figured out that I wanted to sing, I think any time I went to something that had a person standing up on a stage singing, I wanted to be doing that, you know. So, yes, I'm sure it had a big, big impact on me. Now, now when did you realize that you had a really good singing voice? Well, I just, I think I sang all the time from the moment I could could make sounds to sing. I think it was a toy as a kid, but innately I was a musician, so that was my instrument, so I was always sort of singing. And I, I think I just started to realize that my voice could do things that my brother and my sister's voice couldn't do. I would hope your brother couldn't do those things. That would be a little scary, actually. Well, but... when he was younger, he had a beautiful soprano. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, and even older, when you kicked him in just the right way. Exactly. It, it, it hit those notes again. Now... It says in your bio that your main influences when you really started to become a singer and a vocalist were uh, Judy Garland and then Barbara Streisand. Is that true or is it just the most obvious ones to name? Well, it's funny because, you know, I do have a Garland tribute album now, but really her influence was not so much her style at that time. It was more the fact that she was a performer and she was out there with her heart on her sleeve and she was she was singing and, and that's really what made me say okay that's what I want to be doing I want to be performing for people but at that time actually I was more interested in, in a classical type voice you know uh, Eileen Farrell was a, a 
you know, oh. classical, you know, performer, opera singer that I would, I loved when I was 10 years old. And she was my first vocal teacher, I think, just by listening to her. And, and then I went from her to really discovering Barbara Streisand as a young teenager. And she became my next teacher, you know. And um, Did you and ever I, have a thought of doing opera? Or was it always yeah. more, oh, wow. I did, I, and I love it still to this day. I mean, I, I almost sometimes I regret not having pursued it because I, I think I did have a voice that lent itself to that, and I love the musicality of it. Um, and uh, you know, I've always had a soft spot for it. So at the point when okay, I assume you, you took real singing lessons for, uh, for a while, developed no, not, a style. Not oh, really. No. I, I pretty much self-taught. I had been singing professionally for years before I actually tried some vocal lessons and uh i went really only for a few months and to a wonderful man but i just didn't feel like uh it was really doing anything because for one thing i i wasn't even singing in that sort of pop or broadway style which i do on stage i was going and singing these classic scales and then thinking the whole time well if you ever heard me on stage belting out these songs you probably would hate it but he ended up coming, you know, one night to the to the nightclub where I was singing, and he loved he loved it. He was very supportive, but I really didn't continue on. And then years later, when I moved to Manhattan, I thought I should try it again, and I, I took for even a shorter period of time, just a matter of you know a few weeks. I just realized that the woman I was going to wasn't. I felt like I knew more than she did, so I I didn't really continue with that. So I'm pretty much self-taught. Well, do you have any rituals or any certain? Um things that you do daily to either warm up your voice or to keep your voice okay? No, I I don't, except that now that I'm older, I'm 47 now, and now, you know, it's only been in the last few years that I've even consciously thought I, I need to spend more time and be more careful about actually warming up. I used to just, you know, bounce hmm. right out of bed and sing, you know, basically. I'd, I'd go right out on the Broadway stage without even having hardly warmed up. I always had a very strong voice, and you know I'm not recommending that, and it probably wasn't good for me, and um, and that's why now I'm, I'm much more careful. I, I about warming up and having a you know a good slow warm up and taking care of myself. Well, let's hear a bit of Linda Edder's voice, fully warmed up and fully delightful. This is a song. I believe it's from the new album, If You Believe, or is that from um, a, a previous one? I don't have the, the disc in front this of me. This album is called The Other Side of Me, and this is a track called If You Believe. Sometimes it'll hit your heart like a phone star out of a clear blue sky. Other times it's a softest whisper that'll take it by surprise. God bless the broken heart that comes apart in pieces. Doesn't everybody fall in love when they least expect? Share of the hard times, yeah. But one day they'll be gone. If you believe 
Some say that love is like catching fireflies with your eyes shut tight. Others say it's a winding river, gotta find your way across it. One dream is all you need, a thousand sparks igniting. Doesn't everybody fall in love when they least expect it? Episodes of Dave's Gone By Don't Die. They just get archived on CD and on the internet. They're on CD for just ten dollars, including shipping and handling. Makes a wonderful gift. But if you just want to listen on your computer, you can go to davesgoneby.org and see all the archives and listen to them free anytime at all, including a list of what's been on every episode of Dave's Gone By. So go to davesgoneby.org for all the information you need to know to hear me. On CD. Welcome back to Dave's Gone By on this Sunday night, November 9th, and we've been listening to the words speaking to and the music of Linda Edder. We just heard If You Believe, which is, I think, a very, very appropriate song for this week because I want to, before I forget, I want to thank all the folks who believed in and supported this program over the past few weeks and made that known to the station and uh, very, very happy about that and that's why we're still here. So, yay. And Linda Edder is still here with us. Linda, you're, uh, you're there? I'm here. Hello, Linda. So, what, your new album is called The Other Side of Me. I mean, it's, we can kind of guess why you named it that, and especially from listening to that kind of song, as opposed to what people might suspect that you usually sing. But wh- why don't you tell us more about how this album came about? Well, I have made several, and um, I have made you know albums that are standard-esque in style. I've made some Broadway records. I, I have done it few things that are a little more popish, but uh, then I did this the tribute album to Judy Garland, so uh, in the last several years, my concerts have gone a little more toward, you know, the standards and um, and Broadway, and the band configuration even became more of that. I didn't have a guitar in the band anymore, and it became more horns, and, um, and I really was missing that sort of 
more pop element because I used to have a bigger mix. And and in reality, it was time to make another record. The record company had come to me and said, you know, um, to make the next record. And I just didn't really know what I wanted to do. I, I just felt I didn't want to do the same thing. And I came with the idea of going back really to my beginning um, before any real influences as far as making records or picking styles of music, when I would pick up a guitar, I had a cheap little guitar that I bought as a teenager, and when I sat down to write, that's what I wrote. It was always country pop, huh. sort of Americana kind of music, and I I knew that's really what I wanted to do. I wanted to do something that was more radio-friendly and more true to who I was off stage. So and what what are the kinds of folks that you listen to? Who, who are some of the artists and singers well, and songwriters? I love... You know, Faith Hill, I love Sheryl Crow, uh, Sarah McLaughlin. Oh. Yeah, I really, I really, that tends to be more the kind of music that I listen to. I might be surprising to some people. They might think, you know, I used to be, you know, at, yes, as a young teenager, I was definitely playing Barbra Streisand records all the time, but I really don't do that anymore. I'm much more innately that, you know, so that's what it's become, you know, become for me. I, I like pop, I like Americana, I listen to. You know, people like John Androsik, who's the lead singer for Five for Fighting. I love his voice. I'm, you know, um, Train, I love... Oh, yeah. I love guitars. I mean, I, I think of all the instruments, really, acoustic guitar is my favorite. Can you play? I do. I, I play a little bit. I used to play, you know, when I was writing back then. And, and since I started writing again, I, I, I really wanted to pick the guitar up. So I bought a, another guitar a couple of years ago and started to play again. And I really enjoy it. Um it's just it's a more a little bit more natural thing, and I like to write on the guitar because it, it the, the rhythms of it and just the way it, you know works for me it, it it really works out well. Yeah, that that's the thing that people also might not know about you if they just know you from Broadway or seeing you on Star Search, and, and we'll get to that as well. But you've written at least one song on the new album, The Other Side of Me, called "Waiting for the Fall," and um, did it? Do you have trouble telling the record company, hey, look, you know, I'm a songwriter too, and they say, no, 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 we want you to cover Judy Collins, and we want you to work with these established post-Kingpan Alley types, and we want you to do a Broadway song. Is there any kind of problem with that? Or are they totally cool to hear your song, and they're like, sure. Yeah, well, they weren't even uh, aware that I wrote, because I hadn't written for so long. I, I, you know, I married a songwriter, and suddenly I stopped writing. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't, it wasn't his fault. It was just that we were, he, you know, the influences were there to go the more standard S and Broadway route, because that was his love, you know, and and I, I certainly enjoyed it, too, and I, and I wouldn't ever trade that musical part of my life. But now that I'm back on my own, you know, the influences are just me again, and, and that's when the... When doing when doing this country pop Americana sound came back, all of a sudden my writing instincts and my desire to write came back. So um, I had I started writing again toward the end of the process of the record, and that's how we came up with the one song. And I have you know a couple more songs that I finished recently that I wish that I finished them sooner because they would be on the record. But you know I'm just I'm just happy to be back at that. You know I really enjoy it. And I think I have a, a knack for it. And like anything. You know, you'll hear so many people in this business say that if you're a singer and you can write, you should really write for yourself because that will tend to be the best songs, you know, if you can have the ability and the songs are any good at all, they're usually the best for you. And when you're in concert, do you feel a little something extra, a little something different when you're doing your own song as opposed to covering someone else's? 
absolutely. There's no nothing to compare to. You're you're the standard. You know, it's yours. Uh, the words are yours. Um, so there's a total hundred percent comfort. You know, in that. Cool. Now, you had mentioned uh, that you were married to a songwriter. I guess we, we can extrapolate on that just a little bit, uh, because your ex-husband was actually on the show a couple of years ago, Frank Wildhorn, who wrote Jekyll and Hyde and who wrote a, a bunch of other shows, Dracula and um, various War. versions of The Scar on the Pimpernel, Civil War. Mm-hmm. So, you were married for, for a decade or so? Or, or No, well, we were married for six years. We were together oh. 17, though. Wow. So why was marriage so different from when you were dating? How did, what went wrong? Uh, well, we dated for quite a long time, and, and you know, the, I don't know, the he, he'd been married once before, and the impetus to get married, I don't know, it was maybe not uh, uppermost important in either one of our minds. We sort of felt married, and then we just decided to go ahead and get married. And, <laughs> yeah, and okay. having been married, then, of course, the, the desire to have a child, you know, because mm. it's the natural flow of things, but... I think it, it's, it went wrong in the sense that the music was such a driving force in the relationship. And in a way, that's a, it's really a, yes, music's a wonderful thing and it can bring people together, but it shouldn't be the thing that holds you together. And, you know, over time, once I had a child, I felt like I changed. And my focus, even though I was very driven and maybe, maybe not as driven as he is, you know, in his career, he's, kind of 24-7 yeah. about it. And and I had a, a lot more of that when I was younger, but in reality, I have a lot of interests. So I couldn't keep up with that that desire to be always about the music and always into that. And I think ultimately that's when I stepped back and realized, you know, as wonderful as he is, this isn't really the person that I'm meant to be with for the rest of my life because I have... I'm too normal. I have too many other interests that are just normal, you know, and, and uh, the, the Minnesota farm girl. Well, have you met the person that perhaps you are going to be with or <clears throat> anybody well, close? Or? Well, I've been with someone, you know, for the last four years, and, and I, lo- you know, love them. I'm just taking it a day at a time. You know, I'm not, I don't really have that desire now to... That burning desire that I have to get married. I've been married. I've had a child, so I've I've completed, you know, something that a lot of people feel is something you need in life, and I've sort of done that. And I I look at life differently these days, and I just I just want to enjoy it, and and that can come in any any in many different forms. So I'm happy, you know, I'm really happy with where I am. I I feel like I I'm a different person than I was five years ago. I sort of feel like we all go through. We, we change, you know, maybe every five, seven years we sort of make a slight shift and we become something else and then it shifts again and we just continue to grow and I feel like that's what's happened to me and I think making this record, I feel like I have grown musically more in the last two years than I have in the last ten because I stretched myself and I, and I produced it myself so I, oh, okay. I spent about a year just working on the record so you don't grow unless you put yourself out there. And, and by the way, just as you were talking about all that, it also just made so much sense why you would include on the album Joogie Collins' Both Sides Now. I mean, that's exactly where you're at. Because yeah. now you've, you've looked at everything from both sides now. You were win and lose, you know, up and down, love from both sides. And, um, no, it just, it just struck me that, boy, oh boy, it isn't just that that song's a chestnut. It probably really resonated with you on some level. Yeah, it did, and it does, and every... 
so many of the songs on the record, that's why I chose them, you know, because they they all said something that felt good to me at my in where I am in my life right now. And it's a and, you know, there are some sadder songs on there. I you know, I'm good at singing sad songs, but in general it's a very uplifting record. I didn't want a lot of slow ballads. I wanted I wanted songs that, that felt good and, and 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 what it it really is it, I think it is radio friendly and it's it's very car friendly. It's a good road trip kind of record, you know, it's it just feels good driving down the road with it on, you know, it puts you in a good place. And not only that, the cover has a lot of trees and leaves, and the back has some leaves on it. So it's, it's a green car. If you have a hybrid car, yeah. it's a good kind of hybrid car record as well. When we yeah. hear, um, when we go out with, um, with Linda Agin here, we'll, we'll hear one more track from her. But um, also, just want to ask you um, one or two more quickie questions, if I may, because because got to ask about the Star Search thing, because I was never a viewer. Of that show, so I didn't really even know about you until Jekyll and Hyde. What was it, what was it like being on American Idol before it was American Idol? A lot easier than it is today. <laughs> <laughs> Why? You know, How? They couldn't, they couldn't speak to you. They couldn't give you comments. They could just. We had four judges per show, and they would just give you a, a, a number. They they couldn't they couldn't say things to you. And I, you know, it's, it's hard enough then. It's very hard to get up and compete with something that's so personal to you. Is as singing, you know, it's uh, if you're if you truly are a singer, it means you're somewhere. Your voice is connected to you as a person and your emotions, and um, so it's devastating, really, to lose. And, and I was fortunate; I never had to. But I watched people that I would get to know as you know shows were going by. I would, I would get to know them, and yeah. and I would watch them lose, and I would see them smiling on the camera. And the minute they stepped backstage, I saw what happened to them. So I can't imagine what kids on American Idol are going through. I think, yes, it's a good show in that it's given careers to people and, you know, we need outlets like that. But I think, all in all, I think they, Simon Cowell in particular, that they've damaged, you know, Mm. the fragile psyche of a lot of young kids out there. So if you were to give advice to someone going on that show, it would be toughen up or what, what would it be? Boy, that's a good question. I don't know if anyone's ever asked me that. Um, you mean every other question I've asked you've been asked? Gosh, I've got to think of some more interesting <laughs> questions then. Well, no, I'm sure you've asked some that other people haven't, but that one is it's a pretty profound one that, that I can't immediately even answer. I mean, it, I don't know what I would tell them. I, I think I would, it would depend. I would say to some of them, I would say, look deep in yourself, and is this something you really want? Because you're taking a chance, and if it is something you really want, then then know that it is and don't let what you hear go too deep because of the fact that it's only a, one person's opinion and this world has so many people in it and you can be successful in many, many, many ways. There's There are there are audiences out there for you. So if you really love it and you stick with it, you'll find your audience. And that's certainly been true of you from the very beginnings when you were singing young and then 25 years old, you were already on Stars. Or, or no, you were singing Hollywood at that point. I mean, you were already a featured uh, headliner and then on to Broadway and now on to a concert career and the new CD, The Other Side of Me by Linda Etter. We're going to play an older track of yours, but I want to thank you very, very much for being in the neighborhood. It's been absolutely a delight to have you. So when can people see you next round these parts? Do you know? 
Well, you just have to keep checking lindaetter.com. That's where the schedule is. And people, I'm, I'm terrible. I, I don't know my schedule much beyond the one that's coming up because I, I've been doing this for so long. I, I, I have to check my own message board to just to see or my own website <laughs> just to see where I am next week. But just just check out lindaetter.com there. And, and um, you know, we, I do get all, you know, all around the country and um, hopefully I'll be in your neighborhood. Well, thank you for being in the neighborhood, Linda Etter. Thank you. Everybody's searching for answers. Everybody tries to find some meaning in.
In this world, you gotta give to get. Give Dave's Gone By just a little bit of money, and you'll get terrific advertising every week to listeners throughout Long Island and globally on the web. Call 516-295-1511, 295-1511, or email davesgoneby at aol.com to advertise on Dave's Gone By. Give a little, get a lot. Inside Broadway, brought to you by Performing Arts Insider and TotalTheater.com. Yes, we are going inside Broadway. We've already sort of been inside Broadway, thanks to our wonderful guest, Linda Edder. Want to give you some Broadway news, and then got something really, really special coming up. I wasn't expecting this, but this is going to be really neat, so definitely stay tuned. Let's get through the big Broadway news of the week. First of all, um, the there's going to be a big... Broadway revival of Guys and Dolls coming in February, and it's going to star Lauren Graham. She's the uh, woman who played Lorelei on TV's Gilmore Girls. She's going to play Adelaide in Guys and Dolls opposite Oliver Platt as Nathan Detroit. That's the Frank Sinatra role, if you remember the movie. No word on further casting, you know, who's playing Sarah and all those other folks, but should be interesting coming to Broadway in just a couple of months. Also, we've got another revival of Hedda Gabler coming to Broadway. I don't know why we need another revival of Hedda Gabler, but this one has some pretty cool people in the cast, including Paul Sparks, Michael Cerberus, and Broadway's darling Mary Louise Parker. And that's a roundabout production coming to the American Airlines Theater in January. And here's, here's really the big news, the big starry, filmy news of the week. Jane Fonda is going to be back on Broadway for the first time since 1963 when she was in Strange Interlude. She will be doing a new play. I guess that's the only way you can get a new play on Broadway these days is by having a big star in it. Moises Kaufman is directing it. He and his Tectonic Theater Project created the Laramie Project and the Three Trials of Oscar Wilde. It's a play called 33 Variations, and it's coming this winter. They don't have the dates for the theater yet, but uh, should be kind of interesting. The play tried out at Arena Stage and at La Jolla Playhouse. There it starred Jane Atkinson, but uh, now it's going to be starring Jane Fonda, because, well, this is Broadway. And did you know that Jane Fonda was Tony nominated for her Broadway debut back in 1960 in a play called There Was a Little Girl. Well, some sad Broadway news this week, unfortunate Broadway news. Tale of Two Cities closed. It was supposed to close a week later, but economics being what they are and the reviews being what they are, it closed today after only 60 performances. want to give a big chin up to Jill Santoriello, who wrote the show and who was a guest on this program a few weeks ago. Um, I think it'll still have a life in the regionals and, and certainly on tour because yeah, the audiences liked that show. They did, I promise you. So we haven't heard the last of her or of Tale. Anyway, want to say now that this is so exciting. We're going to review Speed the Plow on this edition of Broadway, um, of Inside Broadway, because it's this important, big, new David Mamet revival. But instead, we have another Broadway star on the telephone with us. She's been on the show before, just a few months ago, talking about Golda's Balcony that she was doing. Now she's in an off-Broadway hit, such a hit, ladies and gentlemen, that it was sold out, they extended it a little more, and now I think they're even trying to bring it to Broadway. It's a play called Irena's Vow, and it stars our special Inside Broadway guest, Toba Felchu. Toba, welcome to the neighborhood again. 
Thank you, David. How are you? Thank God I'm good, and how are you? I'm glad to have gotten home from the evening show. We did four in 24 hours, so it's been very exciting at the at the Rose Nagelberg Theater of the Baruch Performing Arts Center on 25th between 3rd and Lexington, where Arena's Vow is now playing through November 25th. Mm-hmm. Fall Theater Mania. Do I sound like enough of an ad for this? Well, it's not only... Try everybody saying the Rose Nagelberg Theater and the Baruch Performing Arts Center. Oh, come on! I, just, I was so, <laughs> so glad that we could find a Polish Catholic in the Baruch Performing Arts Center. <laughs> so tell people about Irena's Vow, first of all. The most important thing is that Irena's Vow is a true story about a young Christian rescuer who saved the lives of 12 Jews and an infant Jewish boy by hiding them in the cellar of the highest-ranking German officer in Tarnopol, the Ukraine, during the war. She hid them for two years, and they all survived. Every single one. Oh wow! One. Her plaque is right next to Oscar Schindler's, or Oscar, sorry, Oscar oh, Schindler's yeah. in um, in on the Walk of the Righteous in Israel, and her name is Irena Gut Opdyk, and she was 17 when the war broke out, and she saved these people between her 17th year of life and her 21st year of life, and it is an example of how. Uh, ordinary people under extraordinary circumstances can do extraordinary things. Now, do you play her at that age? I play her at 70 and 17. Oh, okay. And and was that a challenge? Yeah. Okay. My job, though. <laughs> well, okay, but how do you go about playing someone who's... I went 17? to Lithuania, the Ukraine, and uh, Poland to trace her life, much like I went all over Milwaukee or... She would say Milwaukee, for Denver, New York, and all over Israel for Golda Meir. I also actually went to Kiev this year in researching Irena and found Golda's childhood apartment. It was a big thrill. Oh, wow. She was brought up in Kiev. And when did um, the uh, Irena, is she still with us or did she pass? She passed away. Did you get to meet her or talk to her? No, I know or? her daughter and I know the infant boy that she saved. She she. The Jews wanted to abort a child. It was a pregnancy. One of the married couples, she was hiding. The woman became pregnant, and they wanted to abort. And she said, I cannot do it. I'm a Catholic. And they said, this isn't a matter of religion. This is a matter of life and death, 13 lives to be exact. And she says, you don't understand. I saw a baby ripped out of its mother's arms, and it was murdered in front of me. And I stood there, and I did nothing. I could do nothing. And I saw the mother of that baby shot to death in front of me, and I could do nothing. And I made a vow then and there to God that if ever I got the chance to save a life, I would do it. And she saves this baby's life, and this baby lives. And this baby, 35 years later, comes to America to find Irena, ends up in Loma Linda, California, on her doorstep saying, I believe you're my mother. And she goes, your mother? No, I'm sorry, you're mistaken. No, no, there's no mistake. I said, perhaps your mother has the same name as mine, but I only got one daughter. If I had a son, I think I would have noticed. He said, said, no, it's I who have two mothers, one who gave birth to me and one who gave me my life. Who gave me my life. Wow. It's a wow. Yeah. It's a great honor to play this marvelous woman who really depended not just on her wits but on her faith in order to uh, uh, keep going and not allow these people to die because there were challenges at every second. And you could do 97 things right, and if you made a mistake on the 98th thing, the Gestapo was there, and you were dead. Well, that's the Anne Frank story. I mean, you know, that's exactly right. Two years in an attic, and then one day, some neighbor, and that's it, you know. 
there's mm-hmm. something very important to remember about Anne Frank, not to belittle it in one, for a moment, but Meep was not killed for hiding or helping the Frank family. Inside Le Gouvernement General, which was the area of Poland that the Reich dominated, if you helped a Jew, it was punishable by death. And they would hang you in the town square along with the Jews you helped. And they would hang your wife and your children. So you and your seed would be eliminated for helping a Jew. So it's pretty rough. So Raina knew darn well that by helping these people, by hiding them, that what she was doing was punishable by death. Wow. It was a wow. It was a total wow. And the, since the show extended, yeah. I had already committed to do two very wonderful, precious, precious uh, performances of Golda's Balcony. I have now brought Golda's Balcony back, and I'm making my American debut in the new version of Golda's Balcony. You'd call it the traveling version of it, which has the Broadway star the Broadway sound, the Broadway projections, the Broadway costume, the Broadway wig, and especially the Broadway fat suit, as well as you know, as well as the actress and and the director. But it it um, but each person, each venue that does the show supplies the set, the simple chair, the simple two chairs and table. I bring the telephone. We have a very very simple set. But other than that, it's pretty much what it was on Broadway, and I'm doing it this Saturday, in six days at the New Jersey. State Theater for 1,800 people a show, one at 3 and one at 8.30 for those of those are Shomer Shabbos. So that's my most important message, that if you'd like to see me in rep with myself, (laughs) the two greatest roles of my career, you can go Friday night and Sunday to Arena's Bow at the Rose Nagelberg Theater at Baruch College at 25th Street in Manhattan, you know, between Lex and 3rd and Call Theater Mania. But you can go on Saturday to the New Jersey State Theater, this gorgeous theater in New Brunswick, and you just go 732-246-SHOW. That's how you order tickets, 732-246-SHOW, or just www.statetheaternj.org to buy your seats. And I bet you Theater Mania also has a blurb about how to get the seats. Oh, I'm sure. And and do you have a, a website where all this information also is? Yes, it's www.tovafelchu.com. And as I say, Theater Mania does announce this is Toba Felser to star in Golda's Balcony at the New Jersey State Theater 732-246 show. The tickets start at only $30, and oh, there's wow. tons and tons. Yeah, Arena's Bow is much more expensive, but uh, it's a much smaller theater. So it, it, there are tons and tons of trains going right from Penn Station to uh, New Brunswick, and it's nothing. It's a walk from the station. I know because I played George Street Playhouse, and that's how we used to get there. I personally prefer the 158 because it takes 49 minutes. You're in New Brunswick, and you can walk right into the 3 o'clock matinee. You've timed it. There you go. It is. Well, I, I, I wish we had much, much more time with you again, um, Tova, but it's actually 11.57 p.m. Thank you, David. Well, yeah, so, so stay on the line because I want to tell everybody also that coming up in just a about two three minutes is going to be a new short show hosted by David G. Myers called Reflections on the Light. So stick around and then Gospel All Night till the morning coming up after that. So Toa, don't go away. Listeners, I won't. Don't, listeners, don't go away because we're going to finish up. Dave's gone by this wonderful episode. And thank you, by the way, Toba, for being in the neighborhood. Right My after. My pleasure. Right after this. We've just been inside Broadway. Thanks to TotalTheater.com and Performing Arts Insider.
If they asked me, I could write a book. Well, they did ask me, and I did write a book. A collection of my comedies called Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. If you like farce, there's The Triple Wedding. If you like dark comedy, there's Last Respects. If your taste runs to the absurd, Blind Date. Something for everyone in Marriage, Babies, and the End of the World. $20 hardcover, $12 soft. Buy it now at 516-295-1511 or through the Dave's Gone By website. Yes, and welcome back to the closing moments of Dave's Gone By. I'm going to do this quickly because we do have to go, but I want to thank so many folks. I want to thank Linda Edder. Please get her new CD. You've heard a couple of tracks from it. You've heard it's really good. It's called The Other Side of Me, Linda Edder. Definitely grab it and thank her for being in the neighborhood. I want to thank Tola Feldshu for making an unscheduled appearance. And everybody, go see her in Golda's Balcony in New Jersey and go see her in Irena's Vow off-Broadway. Find out more at tovafeldshu.com, F-E-L-D-S-H-U-H.com. I want to thank, let's see, James Hodge for uh, helping to make this program possible. I want to thank uh, David T. Myers. Be listening to him in just a couple of minutes. I want to thank my folks, Mom and Dad Lefkowitz, for being the wonderful parents that they are. I want to thank my beloved and adorable and terrific and tremendous wife, Joyce, and uh, the wonderful time we had in Maryland this week. It was really great to get away. Ah, wish I had more time to talk about it. Maybe I will, depending on when the uh, gospel folks get here. So, and then I uh, want to thank. Well, I normally would thank Jeff Goodman. I hope he's okay. He'd normally be my guest co-host, but he's not here tonight. Oh, and gosh, I want to thank Dr. Demento for playing my song, Crappy Days Are Here Again. Um, I knew when I recorded that song, that novelty number, that it was right. Sometimes, as Linda Edder was saying about a song, it's right for you, and it says what you wanted to say. And I just knew if I sent that in to Dr. D, it had a good shot of getting airplay. And he did. He played it last week. So thank you, Dr. Demento, my second song on his show. That, that was a, a real a real lift-me-up this week. I um, want to thank our sponsors, Woodrow, Delicatessen, and the Peninsula Shopping Center of Long Island, Hewlett Minuteman Press, the copy kings of Broadway, with 10% off for Dave's Gone By listeners. Thank you to Performing Arts Insider Theater Magazine, the Bible of Broadway, for 65 years. Go to PerformingArtsInsider.com to find out more. And fancy schmancy balloons, 516-797-3229 for all your party decorating needs. 797-3229. And also check out TotalTheater.com. That's kind of this, this overall uh, big old, not corporation, but business that runs all these other little businesses here. TotalTheater.com with 2,000 theater reviews online anytime for you to read. Um, let's see, wanted to say, don't really have time to say farewell to Jimmy Carl Black of uh, the old Mothers of Invention, but he died um, last Saturday, so sorry to hear that. And farewell to Studs Turkle and uh, all the wonderful and biographical and sociological work that he did, and also to uh, media and, I guess he was also a, a movie and theater critic for a while, John Leonard, who died of lung cancer on Wednesday the 5th. So, yeah, some ups this week, some downs this week, but I'm just so happy to be here with you all. For more information about Dave's Gone By, please go to my website, davesgoneby.org. D-A-V, as in Victor, E-S, gone by, dot O-R-G. It is time to leave the neighborhood, but don't go away, because David T. Meyer's got a cool theater show, and Koba Feldshu's going to be back with him, so stick around. But it's time for me to leave the neighborhood. I'll be back next Sunday night, November 23rd. 
for the 297th episode of Dave's Gone By. Until then, don't miss your days going by. This is Dave Lefkowitz wishing you good night, wishing you four to make us forget the last eight and gone by. Oh, and, and um, what Studs Turkle used to say, take it easy, but take it. Dave's gone by. Dave's gone by. Dave's gone by.